We want you to know that Hill City is a safe place for you to get to know Jesus. So if you're curious or you have doubts, questions, or fears, we'd be honored to talk through them with you. If you've been watching with us, we want to check in with you and, and make sure you're doing okay. You can fill out a connection card on our website to help you get connected with real live people. Today, we've got a few songs and then the next message in our sermon series. Thanks for being here. Through the darkness, your love. 
tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine so great of mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken, I am forgiven. The kings of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me the promise your buried body began to breathe out of the silence the roaring lion declare the grave has no claim on me then came the morning that sealed the promise
wondering, hey, what we're all about, um, please stop by the info bar on your way out. Um, there'll be some folks there ready to answer any questions that uh, you may have. Um, we are in uh, the third week of this series called Built the Last, and um, we're so excited today to have a friend here. He's a doctor, y'all, like a real authentic doctor, and um, someone who can, he's going like, to talk about COVID and masks today and like answer every question that you have, um, and he's going to settle all the disputes here today. So, um, no, but Gavin is just becomes such a great friend. He's working with us um, as a church and trying to help us be better at what we do here and reaching people in this city, and it is a true, true honor to have him with us and continue the series. Will you give him a warm welcome as Gavin comes up here? Oh, good morning. Good morning. Um, yeah, it's so funny. It's true. I, I, I actually am a real doctor, but not the kind that can help you with anything. I, uh, but doctor in theology. My kids think it's funny. They, they, they hope one day I'll be on a plane or something, and they're like, is anybody here a doctor? And they just want to laugh. It's like, I mean, I can go read Bible verses to the guy. I mean, that's all I got. You know, like, if, if there's a rash, I got nothing, you know. So, um, no, I, I'm excited to be here. Wags, I'm excited to use your iPad, too. This is real exciting. I just want to draw pictures. Can we just do that? No, I'm just kidding. I won't do that. Um, <laughs> hey, I, I do love your church. I love Richmond. This is my second time in Richmond. Um, what a cool city you chose to live in. Way to go. You guys are smarter than most people in the nation, so good, good job on that. Can look at you. Look how good your IQ is. It's amazing. Um, this is such a cool city, and what a like, great church you have. Um, I know that Wags would never say this out loud because he's too humble, but he and Lacey and the staff are unbelievable here. They are so great. You should, yeah. And you, you've heard of like, maybe, maybe you haven't heard of this, the law of diminishing astonishment. It, it's the, the longer you're around something that's amazing, right? The more easily you forget it's amazing, you know? Um, your kids are this way. Your kids are amazing, but you know, you hate them sometimes. It's the law of diminishing astonishment. So that happens in church all the time. Like you go to an incredibly dynamic church with unbelievable staff and pastors, and it's just easy to forget that. So uh, if anything, I just hope I can be a reminder for you that you are in an incredible place, and I hope you love these people well, because they love you like crazy. They love you really well, and, uh, and I'm glad to be here. It's always fun to come to a church and get to talk. Again, if you're here for the first time, I mean, this is kind of my first time here as well, and so, you know, good news, you're not preaching, so it could be worse. Um, <laughs> We're going to talk about a topic that I am excited to talk about. I, I think it really fits in, not just with the series Built to Last, I think it kind of fits in with what we're experiencing in our community. Um, I was laughing when Wag said I was going to solve all the problems because <laughs> no one can solve all the problems. But I do think there is a solution. It might not solve all the problems, but I think there's a solution to a lot of the problems. And what we're going to talk about today, at least topically, I think might help uh, with some of those solutions in some of those problems. Um, I, I'm going to ask you a question to kind of get us started, but before you answer the question, don't answer it out loud. Definitely don't answer it out loud. Don't elbow anybody either. That'd be super awkward. No, no eyeballing, no eye rolling, none of that stuff, okay? Are you, you good? Just keep your hands and your feet to yourself. Here's the question, uh, and I think it's a really important question. Um, have you ever, is that not working? There we go. Nope, that didn't come up, sorry. Sorry, this is, my, uh, this is my first time on the iPad. I love it. All right, here we go. Have you ever been, have you ever been on the wrong side of a well-meaning person? Now, the answer is yes. Have you ever been on the wrong side of a well-meaning person? Think about it for a minute. Like maybe it's a, a friend. They meant well, right? <laughs> they meant, they really meant well. But you're on the wrong side of it. 
Maybe it was a family member. Maybe it was a mother-in-law. Maybe it was like a mother-in-law. You know, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Mother-in-law, if you're watching, this is not, not you. You're always on the right side. This is the other people's mother-in-laws, right? You, 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 you talk to the person, they just have unsolicited advice, like, and they really do mean well, you know? It's like the newlywed couple giving you marriage advice. It's like, bless their hearts, they're so sweet, you know? It's like your babysitter explaining how you could better discipline your children, you know? You're like, that's, that's real helpful, you know? We've all been on the other side of those people, and I bet you can think of who those people are right now, right? In fact, just for a second, like not for long, just for a second, again, no names and elbows, but can you think of somebody in your life, or maybe who used to be in your life, who was that person, that well-meaning person, full of unsolicited advice for you to make your life so much better, right? You got a name, got a person in mind? When you think about those people, right, they're so frustrating. They can be the worst, and we could kind of categorize these people, couldn't we? If you were to ask me about all the really kind people who have meant well, but really done more harm than good, there is one category of these people, and I hate to even admit this is true, especially the fact that I'm kind of like a pastor and all, but I think Christians might be some of the worst versions of well-meaning people. Christians at times can be the worst kind of well-meaning people that we end up on the other side of. Um, I could tell you story after story after story of well-meaning Christians that did a whole lot of harm in their meaning well. They, they, wanted, they wanted to do good. They were trying to, to mean well, but they were just mean. But a lot of well with it. I, I remember my, my favorite example, and by favorite I mean absolute worst example, happened when I was 15. Um, I don't know what your church background is. I grew up going to church. I, I've been in church since I was negative nine months old. It's like a part of my life. I mean, we would go on Sunday morning, we'd go back on Sunday night, we'd go on Wednesday night. That's where we had like the potluck. I always loved it. There was multiple versions of mac and cheese and sweet tea. I mean, like, I'm like a church guy, you know? And so growing up in church, I had like a really good understanding of God. At least I thought I did, of Jesus, of scripture. I mean, I had a, a pretty good working knowledge. I, I gave my life to Jesus when I was seven years old. I didn't know everything I needed to know, but I knew the, the core fundamentals of what sin was and, and that I was one of them. And that Jesus died for me. I, I understood all that. I, I know exactly where I was when I made that decision. When I was 12, I was baptized at a church. I vividly remember wanting to go do that and understanding why it was important. So, I mean, I'm like a church guy. So now I'm 15 and I'm attending church. We go to youth group on Wednesday nights, pretty big church. Um, I had a girl that would go to youth group with me. She was unbelievably beautiful inside and out. I ended up marrying this girl. Uh, at 15, we start dating and we would go to church together on Wednesday nights. And after church one Wednesday night, we were sitting or actually standing on the sidewalk just outside of the youth building, the student ministry building, and we were just talking. She and I with probably, I don't know, six or seven other friends, we're just kind of all hanging out. Well, out of the corner of my eye, I see a guy who's kind of walking down the sidewalk towards us. I didn't really think much of it. I mean, we're just hanging out talking, you know, and we're all about to go home in a few minutes. And, and I was waiting on a ride, you know, my mom, because I was 15 and my mom was going to come pick us both up. And so... Out of the corner of my eye, this guy who's walking is getting closer and closer and closer. And I look up and I'm like, oh, that's the associate pastor of this church. And, and I know him because he baptized me when I was 12. He's the guy who baptized me, you know. So I'm thinking, oh, he's probably going to come up and say hello. Or maybe he's going to say hey to me because, I mean, obviously he knows me. We, he dunked me underwater. He probably remembers me. So as he's walking up, he gets closer and he's making eye contact with me. And, and, and then he, he, he stops right in front of me. And in front of all my friends, right, he, he taps me kind of on the shoulder and he says, hey, hey, son, can you step over here with me for a minute? And I'm like, 
okay, you know, and I'm 15, you know, so like, I don't really know what to do when an adult says something to you like that, you just kind of do it. But you also know that when a person calls you son, there's something not good, you know? Like my, my parents never said son, you know? We got you a Lamborghini, you know, it was always something bad. And so, you know, son, will you step over here with me? And I'm like, okay. And so we kind of step over. My friends are watching, you know, they're like, well, this is weird. You know, Gavin's in trouble. What's going to happen to Gavin, you know? So I, I walk over there about 10 feet away. And this pastor, he looks at me right in the eyes and he says, hey, son, he said, I saw how close you were standing beside that girl. And I know what you were thinking. <laughs> now, I got to tell you, you know, as a, as a Jesus follower, as a Christian, like we all have spiritual gifts, right? I do too. I, I have the spiritual gift of sarcasm. It's incredible. Like I'm very well gifted, you know? And at 15, like I had a very underdeveloped frontal lobe, but a very well-developed gift of sarcasm. And so with that guy who knew me, by the way, you know, I know, I know what you were thinking. I looked at him and I said, huh, well, do you know what I'm thinking now? And he said, I don't really appreciate your tone. I said, you don't appreciate my tone? Are you kidding me? And I turned around and I walked back over to my friends. You know, now I'm dating the girl, right? I grab her hand and I'm like, can we make out right now? Just in front of the guy, you know? She's like, no. I'm like, okay, it was a, it was a good shot. You know, like I, it was a good effort. She goes, what did he want? I said, I can't even talk about it. You know, luckily my, my mom pulled up. We got in the car and, 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 and I get in the car and my mom's like, how was church? I'm like, don't even ask. You know, I'm so angry. We drop my, my girlfriend off. We go to our house. I walk in and I'm like storming in, slamming doors. You know, my, my dad's like, hey, what you talk about at church tonight? You know, seems like it was real moving, you know? And so I came out in the living room and I said, I am never going to that church again. I don't care what happens. I'm never going back to that church. And they went, okay, that could be an overreaction. Like, can we talk about what happened? Told them the whole story. My dad, you know, bless his heart, man, my dad says, you know what, you, you don't have to ever go back. You don't have to do that. Now, here's the, the coolest part of this whole story. I, it's amazing that I even worked at a church ever. I mean, I, 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 I've got like 15 years now working in churches and working with churches. I mean, it, it's hard to believe. After that one moment, I was so angry at church people, especially pastors. It's really ironic that I became one. I just couldn't stand them. And here's the reality is that when I was 15, I was a really good kid. Like, I mean, I, I was a good kid. I didn't do any of the things you weren't supposed to do. I did all the things you were supposed to do. Like I wasn't drinking or smoking or chewing, but, but I did enjoy hanging around with the people who were doing those things. Because honestly, they just seemed more honest. Like they, they just seemed more normal. I mean, when I was 15, all the 15 year olds seemed to be doing the bad things. The fake Christian ones, like the Christians, they just pretended they weren't doing those things and they, they were totally doing them. I like the guys who were just honest about it, but I got lumped into that category. And when that pastor walked up to me, he just treated me like that, that category. And here's the thing about that conversation. If, again, I was 15. I probably was thinking what he thought I was thinking. <laughs> I was 15. At any point during the day, if you said, Gavin, what are you thinking about? I'm like, well, I'm 15, you know? Food or girls, that's about it. That's what I'm thinking about. And I think he was trying to be real helpful. Like, I really do. I think he had good intentions in mind. And he was probably right. But it didn't do any good. In fact, it did a lot of harm. I, I can tell you with pretty absolute certainty 
I would have completely walked away from the church for good that day if it weren't for the fact that my girlfriend's parents had given us a rule on dating. They only would allow us to date for six hours a week. I don't know why. I think they were trying to get rid of me. That's my only guess. We only had six hours to date a week, but church hours didn't count. And her family went to a different church. So every time her church was open, we were there. Every single time. There's like, we're going to take the senior citizens to Helen, Georgia. We'll go. Like, we'll help. Like, anytime the church was open, we were there. Because those hours didn't count. And you know what was so cool is that at her church, I got to meet some other people who weren't like that pastor. I got to meet some Christians who thought a little differently. The, the thing about that pastor is that I think he just saw me as a category. He, he just saw me as a, as a those people. You know who those people are, right? You have these people in your life too, right? Those people, it's that group of people that are basically impossible to love. That's who the those people are. To that pastor, I think I was just a those people. I was just one of those, you know, lustful, terrible teenagers. That's who I was. Of course, he became one of those people to me. One of those old jerky Christians. One of those people. You know who those people in your life are, don't you? You have those people. Who, who are, don't answer out loud again, who are those people for you? Is it those baby boomers? I mean, those old people set in their ways? Those Gen Xers, actually nobody has those people. I mean, I'm one of those. We just forgotten, forgotten in the whole thing. But those Gen Xers and their grunge, you know? Those millennials so entitled. Those Gen Zers. Those socialist, liberal Democrats, those, those mean, angry, evangelical Republicans. Like, we have those people, don't we? And you know what's really scary? If you think about it for a minute, not only do we have those people, you are those people to somebody else. You're a those people to somebody. When they think of you, they think of you as a category. Now, I'll tell you, the, the, those people, they're difficult people to deal with. They are real difficult. Now, the only saving grace for those people is that typically those people stay over there with their people. And we can stay over here with our people. And as long as those people mind their own business, everything seems to be a little bit better. And it's actually not that difficult to isolate ourselves from those people, is it? I mean, think about how easy it is to stay disconnected from those people. I mean, we can watch our own cable news network. They can watch theirs the wrong one. We can watch ours the true one, right? Meanwhile, the cable news network could care less about you in truth. All they want is your eyeballs and ad revenue. You know that, right? But they'll tell you anything to make it sound right just to get your money. That's all they care about. But that's what they do. Your news network is the right one though, right? I mean, those people have their social media and you have your social media, and I don't know what's going on with theirs, but I know the algorithms on my social media are only feeding me the truth. It's only showing me what I want to see, which it has to be right. Look, everybody around me agrees. Everybody likes it. It has to be true, you know? Every meme is liked by all my friends. It has to be true, you know? But as long as those people say over there, I don't like them, at least I don't have to deal with them because they're over there. But there's a problem with that, isn't it? <laughs> because those people don't tend to stay over there for long, do they? 
Like for some reason, those people keep getting all up in my business and causing problems for me. It happens all the time because, you know, those people, those people don't tend to stay over there where they belong. Those people, they actually kind of get involved where we are. They begin to infiltrate where, where we are. It, life is so much better when those people will just stay over there where they belong, but they don't tend to do that. Oftentimes in our life, those people, they kind of become that person. Like those people somehow end up being that person. Maybe they become that person in our marriage. Like, and they weren't that way at first. Like when we got married, they weren't of those people. I don't know what happened. Something happened. Now they think differently slash wrongly, but they're one of those people that are becoming that person. And I'm married to them. How did that happen? Like, like, like those people can become that person in our family. Like some of you birthed that person. And you're like, I have no idea why they see the world that way. I mean, we have four kids. We made them all the same way. These three seem so normal. What happened to this one? How did this one become that person? You know, they're, they're, they're in our neighborhood. If you're a part of an HOA, you have that person in your HOA. No question. They're always in the HOA. If you don't know, yeah, they're the president of the HOA, right? They're that person. They're in your workplace. You're like, how did I get the cube beside that person? Like, how did I get the cube beside the person with all the flags that I hate? How did I get the cube by the person who doesn't ever wear a mask? How did I get the cube by the person who wears 14 masks? You know? How, how, how did I get, the, how did I get the, the seat beside him, beside her? Can't they just be with their people, you know? And here's the hardest one. I, I think sometimes that person shows up in church. In fact, in really good churches, those people do show up. It, not great churches are full of just one group of people. They don't see anything differently. They all see everything exactly the same. That's not great churches. Great churches have a lot of those people. And you are those people to a lot of other people. So what do we do with that? Like, what do we do when those people become that person? That's what I want to talk about for a while. Like, what do we do? How do we handle that? If you're not a Christian, you have lots of options. If you're, if you're not a Jesus follower first, I am so glad you're here. If you're listening, watching, like, I'm so grateful. And I don't know why you're here. Maybe you're curious about faith. Maybe you're curious about church. Maybe this, the pandemic has driven some things in your heart and you want to figure it out. Or I don't know, maybe somebody promised you'd meet somebody cute during the two minutes of talking. I have no idea. Wax told me somebody got married during that. Or not during it. That would be really fast. But <laughs> they met and now they're married. I mean, way to go. So I don't know. I, I don't know why you're here. If you have those people in your life, you got a lot of options. I mean, you can just set them straight. You can just tell them the truth as you see it, which is right, by the way, you know. You can just scissor kick them in the throat. I mean, whatever. Like, you have lots of options. But, but if you're a Jesus follower, you don't have those options. If you really want to follow Jesus, there are some ways we have to handle it that are a little bit, a little bit more complicated. There's this moment where Jesus is in the upper room. It's the night before he's going to be crucified, right? He's about to give his life for every single person on the planet forever and ever and ever. Amen. And he's in the upper room, and he's talking with his 12 disciples, and he's explaining some things that he thinks they really need to know and understand and begin to live out, knowing that life's about to be a lot more complicated. Now, it's going to be really tough for a few days. Okay, spoiler alert, he's going to come back to life in three days. 
He's going to hang around for a few weeks, and then he's going to go to heaven. It's going to get tough because now Jesus isn't with them day to day. And they're going to have the Holy Spirit. That's going to be real helpful, but it's not going to be like it has been. They're going to be the people leading the charge. And they've got to learn to deal with those people because there are a whole lot of those people that are going to be all up in their brand new Christian faith business. He looks at me and says, hey, I have a new command I want to give you. Some of you know the story. Um, a, a, a few weeks back, the religious leaders, these Pharisee people, they come to Jesus and they say, hey, what's the most important command? Because they had a couple of thousand. He said, oh, it's very easy. And they were like, it can't be easy. We have thousands. He goes, it's super easy, you know? I mean, love the Lord your God and love others. That's it. And then Jesus looks at him and he says, hey, what's about to happen is going to take care of you vertically. You and God are about to be totally okay. Now it's only going to be about you and other people. It's only going to be about horizontal relationships. He says, I have a new command I want to give you. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. You've heard of the golden rule before, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's like the golden rule. This is like the platinum rule. It's like a one-up of the golden rule. Like, like, don't do unto others as you want to be done. I want you to treat others the way that Jesus has treated you. Like, I feel like we should call that the uh-oh rule. Because what Jesus did is die for you. What, what Jesus did is put you first. What, what Jesus did is said, what do you need? I'll take care of it. No matter what it means for me. Like, that is an uh-oh rule, especially when we apply it to that person. But as a Jesus follower, that's what we're called to do. So why, why is it so hard to do that? I mean, there's some obvious reasons. I think maybe the, the primary reason, if we could just focus on one for a minute, I think one of the primary reasons it's so difficult is because we have accidentally kind of connected these two words, agreement and acceptance. I, I think we've just accidentally kind of connected agreement and acceptance as if they're the same thing and we have to have both of them in place to love people well. But, but they're not the same thing at all. They're not the same thing at all. Agreement, a, a, agreement means that like another, right, another person must adopt the same perspective as you or you have to adopt their perspective. That's agreement. And let me just ask you, you don't have to answer this, this is an obvious question, right? Are you ever going to fully agree with those people? No. You're not going to. You've had different life experiences. You have different perspectives. You, you, you have different opinions. And that doesn't mean you're right. It doesn't mean you're wrong either. It just means you're never going to fully agree with everybody, and that's okay. But that doesn't mean that you can't accept people. Acceptance is kind of like agreement. Except acceptance means that we learn to value other people over their perspectives. They may have a different perspective. They may see the world differently. They may vote differently, wrongly, right? They may behave differently. Their lifestyle may not be exactly like yours. They may not do the things you think people should do. But that doesn't mean that you can't learn to love them. This is so connected to that big commandment that Jesus gave us. Because you can love people that you don't agree with, but you can't really love people that you can't accept. You, you, you can disagree with someone and still love them well, 
But you can't love anybody well that you can't accept because they're never gonna feel loved. They're just gonna feel rejection. They're gonna feel stiff-armed. Acceptance is a really core element to the life of a Jesus follower. The good news is that we have some pretty fundamentally basic instructions on how to do that. There's this guy, named the Apostle Paul, you may have heard of him. He's like the greatest church planter in all of history. He traveled around the Mediterranean rim in the first century, just planting churches everywhere. And then he wrote a bunch of letters to them, encouraging them, sometimes admonishing them because, I mean, think about it. They're starting a brand new belief system, Christianity. They didn't even call it that yet. It was called the way. And people thought it was Judaism 2.0 and it wasn't, it was very different. People didn't know what it was. And it was so fragile and they were trying to get it right, but there were a lot of those people trying to infiltrate this brand new church, this brand new belief system and manipulate it and use it for their own benefit or in some cases just get rid of it. So in all the letters that Paul wrote, we see him talking to these Jesus followers about how they can learn, this is so important, to love other people well how they can love the, those people well, the ones who mean them harm, and even the ones, right, who are just well-meaning and doing some harm. My, my favorite version of this is in the, the book of Colossians. Uh, Paul wrote a letter to the city of Colossae and all the, the churches there that he helped plant. And in this letter, he gives them this just beautifully simple instruction on how to do that well. And that's what I wanna talk about today. How do we do it well? How do we live out Paul's kind of explanation? How do we apply what he wants us to do? So here's kind of how his instruction starts. He says, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. So Paul's traveling around, he's always being arrested, but he's desperately trying to proclaim the mystery of Christ in all of these cities as he's planting and launching all of these churches. Now, just really quick caveat, this is not necessarily part of today, but the mystery of Christ, it's important, you should know what this is, right? Couple things, one, that sin is anything that works against what God is working for. This is what Paul is trying to explain, it's the mystery of Christ. Two, that sin demands payment. When we rebel against God, there has to be some consequence or some sort of payment. And the fact that Jesus died for our sins allows us to not have to pay the price because Jesus paid it with his life. He was buried because he died. Three days later, he came back to life and he walked out of the tomb. And by believing in that truth, right, we are forgiven. Not by behaving better, but just by believing. That's the mystery of Christ. It's wrapped up in this word called grace. This is what Paul was trying to teach everyone to live. He was trying to teach everyone to allow that to be the central focus of their life and of their love for others. That's what he's trying to get across. So, and pray for us too, that God may open the door for, but this is what's interesting. He says the word, our message. Did you catch that? I mean, he, Paul, 2,000 years ago, realized there's an us and there's a them. There, there's an us and there are those people. And I know it's easy to think like right now, we're like, we're living in the most divisive time in history. And I don't know, maybe we are, I, maybe, I don't know. I mean, the Civil War seemed pretty divisive. I don't know, you know, like 2,000 years ago, the Jewish people, the Pharisees and the Christian, you know, Jesus followers, it was pretty divisive too. 
I, I don't know that it's more divisive now. I, I just think we have more technology to, you know, have keyboard courage and spew our opinion. I think that's the problem now, right? I think it's been divisive the whole time because that's kind of what's in us, in humanity. So he recognizes that there are some of those people. And he looks at these Christians in the city and says, hey, guys, there are some of those people. And you may not agree with them, and they may not agree with you, but you have to love them well. It's the only thing Jesus commanded you to do. So he looks at him. He writes to him. He says, here's my advice on how to do it. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Now, that word outsiders might sound a little offensive, but don't, don't take offense if you're not a Christian. He's not saying like, you know, you're on the outside, like as a bad thing necessarily. He's just saying, hey, there's some us that are kind of on the inside of the church, and there's some people who are not. And he says, you should be wise in the way you act towards people who are not believers. And, and you should make the most of every opportunity. Now, before I show you the rest of this, like when we hear that, make the most of every opportunity, there's a part of us that thinks, yeah, that's what that pastor was doing. You know, he was trying to make the most of every opportunity. You're like, no, that's not what Paul's talking about. What Paul is saying is that when it comes to non-Christians, they might be, they are the most important category of those people we will ever bump into in our lives. How somebody else votes, nah, that's kind of important. How they believe about Jesus, that is the most important thing. At the end of our lives, only one question is going to matter. What do you say about Jesus? It's the only question that matters. Who you voted for, what color clothes you wore, none of that, nobody cares. None of that's going to matter anymore. Paul knew that. Paul understood that everybody lives forever somewhere. That's a big deal. And Paul recognized that as Jesus followers 2,000 years ago, as it is today, we're going to be interacting with people who are just far from God. They're going to be a those people. But it's a really important category to get right and how do we make the most of those opportunities? Paul says, well, it's actually kind of easy. You, you just let your conversations be full of grace, seasoned with salt. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Um, a few, uh, uh, several, uh, two houses ago, actually, we had this verse painted on the wall of our keeping room. It was right beside our kitchen. I thought it was a perfect verse for, for that space. I mean, it talks about salt. It was right beside the kitchen. Also, I thought reminding us that we need to be full of grace is gonna be really important. I mean, we had four little kids at the time, we needed a lot of grace, you know? My wife and I had arguments a lot at that time in our life. Things weren't just easy for us in that moment. If you're married, you've been through seasons like that. Being full of grace was real helpful for me. But not to the, not, not, and Paul's not suggesting that like salt isn't important, that's his word for truth. Salt's important, truth is important. But it's not more important than grace. Grace always comes first. In fact, grace always precedes salt. Grace always comes before truth. Not to go too back into it for a second, but you know those people who flip that, don't you? They are really strong on truth. They are light on grace. Paul would say they're getting it wrong. You know people who want to tell you exactly what's right and tell you what to do differently and then say, but I love you anyway. That's not what Paul's suggesting. Paul is saying that grace has to rule the day because grace is what allows us to foster relationships. It's what allows us to begin to value others, even if we disagree with them. But there's one word in here I think we might have missed. 
It's a word I used to miss all the time. It's the word conversation. Let your conversation be always full of grace. How, how good of a job do you think we do with that? I'll tell you what, the well-meaning Christians I know don't have conversations. You know what they have? They have confrontations. Confrontations that create chasms. Confrontations that are well-meaning, but don't really do any good. They just come across as mean. Confrontations that broaden the gap between us and those people, or create an even greater chasm between us and that person. Do you know how powerful conversations are? Conversations is actually where grace lives best. And the reason is that conversations, they just create connections. Conversations always create connections. And it's through connections that we learn to love people well. It's through connection that we learn to live in a place of empathy. It's through connection that we begin to understand why that person thinks that way. And we learn to value them, even if we can't fully agree with them. I think conversation might be the solution to what a lot of the problems we're facing. I think conversation might be the solution to the people over there and that person and our family in the cube beside us. Maybe not the HOA, but all the other categories. <laughs> That's how powerful conversations are. And how bad are we at that? How bad are we at leveraging conversation? I, I, the thing about conversation is that it actually allows us to answer everyone, including those people. That's actually how Paul finishes this passage. He said, let your conversations be always full of grace and seasoned with truth so that you will know how to answer everyone, no matter who they are, no, no matter what they think, no matter what they believe, no matter, no matter what category of those people or that person they are. Conversation is what actually provides the answer because conversation allows us to understand. It allows us to be curious. It allows us to listen. That's what a conversation is. It's a give and take, right? It's not an argument. It's not a, I'm going to prove my point. It's not a, I've already made up my mind that you're wrong, and let me tell you about it. Conversation is listening. It's curious. I think it might be the missing element to the most important commandment Jesus gave us. And all of you recognize this or not, but this is exactly what Jesus did all the time. I mean, think about all the stories with Jesus. I, I, I only give you a couple of them. We could go all day with this. Let me just give you a couple. Like, for instance, the woman at the well, you know, Jesus bumps into the woman at the well. Hey, where's your husband? She says, I don't have one. And he goes, yeah, I know you've had five and the person you're living with isn't even your husband now. And she's like, uh-oh. But what does Jesus do? He doesn't go salt, salt, salt. He says, grace, can we have a conversation? Changed her life. It changed her community because he chose a conversation. Woman caught in adultery, remember that story? Jesus says, hey, whoever hasn't done anything wrong, start throwing rocks. And one by one, everybody starts dropping them. The oldest people first, because the older you are, the more you understand that you haven't gotten it right. 
And pretty soon everybody's walked away but Jesus and her. And what does he say to her? He doesn't say, I'm going to sprinkle some salt on the wound. He says, can we just have a conversation? Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus is a wee little man. A wee little man was he. It's a song I learned in VBS. You're welcome for that. Sing that the rest of your day. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. If you think the IRS is a problem, you should have grown up 2,000 years ago with tax collectors. They were the worst kind of those people. They were Jewish people who were traitors working for Rome. Zacchaeus is one of them. Jesus is coming through town. A huge crowd is formed. Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. He climbs up in a tree. I was taught as a kid in the song that he was really short, so he climbed up in the tree so he could see the Lord. I don't know. Maybe that's true. Or maybe he climbed up in the tree because every time he was around people, they hated him. Maybe getting up in a tree was a way to get away from all the people who hated him. I don't know. I do know that when Jesus walked by, he looked up and he saw Zacchaeus in that limb of a tree and he says, hey, come down, Zacchaeus. Not so I can truth you. Come down because I'm going to spend a day with you. I just want to talk with you. I want to have a conversation with you. Changed his life. It's the power of conversation. It's the secret sauce to loving people well. It's the secret to dealing with those people and that person. It's the secret that Jesus put on display constantly for us. Jesus followers, if that's you, Jesus followers, we are called by the new commandment to close that chasm with everybody who isn't like us. And we're called to do it through gracious conversation. Now, I don't, I don't want to just end and say, so good luck with that. I mean, it's not easy. I totally get it. It's hard to have a conversation with someone who doesn't want to converse back. I totally understand that. But can I tell you something? I mean, I'm 47. It's not that old, but it's old enough to at least have experienced my fair share of those people. What I have found is that eventually grace always wins. Eventually grace always wears down that person. At some point, this is true in your marriage, it's true in your relationships, your friendships, your family relationships, your work, it's true everywhere. If you're not a Christian, take the Jesus part out of it and just try it. It's going to work any, either way. But if you're a Jesus follower, living a life worthy of the calling, it actually means leaning into those conversations. It's a pretty powerful way to put God's love on display. I know you have some of those people in your life. I know you have some of that person maybe really close to you. I wonder what would happen if we started really leaning in to conversation. So here's what I love to do. Um, I'm going to pray for us in just a second, and we're going to sing a song as well, but I just want to give you maybe a minute just to think about what you should do with that. I mean, because this isn't easy. And I think it's worth considering. So can we do that? Maybe just take a minute and process through what that means for you and your life.
Hey, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that, that you chose grace over truth and you decided to love me. And thank you, Father, that, you know, really, I'm glad that we have those people in our life. I'm glad that that person is in my life. Because, Father, if, if this entire Christian life for me, if you and I are good and there's nothing I can do to break that because of my belief in your love and what you have done, if this entire thing now is about me and others, I can't think of a better way for me to understand your grace for me than me trying to show grace to other people. So Father, I pray that I will do that better. I pray that I will lean into conversation more, not confrontation. That I will try to reduce chasms instead of grow them. And Father, I know that there will be opportunities that we can all kind of, you know, sprinkle in a little truth, that we can sprinkle in a little salt, but only after grace, only after relationships are formed, only after empathy and understanding and curiosity. So Father, I just pray that you give us all individually just the, the, the wisdom to understand what that looks like in our lives, with our situations and with our people. And I pray you give us the courage to do it. And I pray in doing it, Father, maybe we'll learn something about you. Maybe other people will learn something about you. Maybe they'll experience our grace and maybe even turn to you. What an unbelievable opportunity that would be. So Father, we love you. Jesus, we pray all of this in your name. Amen. All right, we'll do this in five. Cool. I always wanted to do this. Hi, my name is Brian and I'm one of the interns here at Hill City. We're so glad you were here with us this morning. We want you to know that Hill City is a safe place for you to get to know Jesus. And if you have, if you're curious and have doubts and questions or fears, we are honored to talk to you through them. If you've been watching with us online, we want you to check out and get to know how you are doing. You can fill out a connection card on our website and get connected with real people. Today we're going to have a few songs and we go through the next message of our sermon series. Brian? Thank you. Gotta go.